praise the Lord. A scripture reading, Genesis 15, 15 through 21. Praise the Lord. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this commandment before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted kindly to them. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Brother Henry. You guys can take a seat. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, and I thank you for uh, this church family and the blessing they are to me and to my family uh, and the encouragement they have already been to me today. God, we thank you for uh, your spirit who is among us, even as we just sang. God, I thank you for uh, Lily's new... Her, her recent addition to our, our praise team and how great of a job she's doing and what a blessing it is for her to lead us this morning with the band. God, I thank you for, uh, by the power of your spirit, um, what you can accomplish among us. Father, we rejoice in what you have already accomplished so many times in so many ways that you have um, moved in our lives. You've shaped us. You've brought us to life. You have um, transformed us. And so, God, we pray, uh, even as we continue to study you as best as we know how, God, as feeble as we feel, as inadequate as we feel, God, we pray that as we study you, you, you would make yourself known to us, God, that we would see you better. We would better exalt you because we better know you, we better experience you. God, through your word, even now, as we come um, to, to glorify in and rejoice in your great power and your great authority. God, may, may you be honored above all, and may our lives be changed. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I, uh, I do my best to be a, a person of my word. I think it's important that if you say something, you should do it. And generally, I'm, I'm okay at that, except for one particular glaring uh, area of my life, and that is being on time. Uh, Nathan has been around uh, me long enough since he started back in June. He, he very kindly uh, summarized it, that I'm chronically on time, and by that he meant not early, <laughs> and, uh, and usually maybe a few minutes late, but I appreciated his generous characterization, chronically on time. Uh, Amber is the one that suffers the most for this. Uh, most of you, I, I, I don't want you to think badly of me, so I really try hard to be on time, but I know Amber's not going to leave me over being late, so 
Uh, frequently, she gets the, the worst of this. But she knew what she was getting into. I was late uh, picking her up for our very first date uh, along, you know, way back then. Uh, but, but I had a good reason. I was in youth ministry at the time, and I was working on my Sunday school lesson for the next day, and it wasn't ready yet. And so I sent her a message that's going to be a little bit late. I don't know how long I bumped it back, but it was, it was a fair amount. Uh, and I still do that to her too often. Usually uh, the worst case is when it's like somebody's coming over for dinner or something. And she said, hey, make sure you, know, you come here so that you know, we've got taking care of the kids, getting the house ready, dinner ready, etc. And that's always the day where I have some really important phone call to make right at you know, 4.55 or I get a phone call or there's just something really interesting I'm reading that I just have to finish doing that. There's always something important, of course. It's important that I finished doing something before I, uh, that's why I was late. Um, I don't know if this ever happens to you. You, you make a promise and you in fully intend on keeping it, but then something comes up, something changes, and that, that thing puts your promise to the test. Like this, this change in circumstance says, okay, am I really going to keep my word this time? Or maybe because of this different circumstance that came up, I might go back on it. I, I was tempted one time this spring, the kids wanted to do a, a polar plunge back before, you know, it was really swimming weather. And I had agreed to this, so I had said I would do it. And there was a day picked out and something happened that got kind of delayed. And so the sun was going down, like it was no longer sunny. It's one thing to do a polar plunge when the water's cold, but the sun is out. But like the sun was setting and the kids still wanted to do it. And I'm trying to like uh, not seem like the, the chicken in the family, but wanting to back out of this. And I made the mistake, of course, of putting my toe in the water and that didn't make it any better, but I did it. I, I jumped in, even though the circumstances had changed, my word was being tested, but I kept it. When we make a promise, we don't know what's ahead for sure. Like we, we don't know the future. So we, our word gets tested of whether we're going to keep that promise. Today, I want to remind you of some really big promises that God has made to us. And I want to assure you that because He knows the future and has all power and all authority, He will keep that promise. There, God is not in the same situation we are, where when He says something, something might happen unexpectedly that puts His word to the test. That's the truth. That's God's word. But our experience of that is maybe not always like that. We may feel like there are times where God's, pro God's promises are going to be put to the test by circumstances. You just heard the very conclusion of Joseph's story in the last part of the book of Genesis. And the line out of there that I want you to remember throughout today is what Joseph said to his brothers. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. A couple of New Testament equivalents of that. That's a, that's a story. So you say, oh, is that really a promise? Well, okay, there's New Testament similar sentiments that are giving as a promise. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Or Ephesians 1, 11, In Him we have obtained an inheritance... Having, predest having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. 
All things, not some things, all things are worked according to God's purpose, His plan, His desire, His will, the counsel of His will. But here's the thing. Here's the test. Here's the, here's the place where we might look up and go, I don't know, God, if you really can keep your promise here. The test is, there's a whole lot of evil in the world. Is there not? I can read Ephesians 1.11, Romans 8.28 to you, and you can nod along, but I want you to just pause for a minute and consider the number of nations that are at war right now. The thousands of people who are dying as bombs are being launched across, across borders. We said all things work together for the good of those who are called according to His purpose. And that He works all things according to the counsel of His will. What about, what about the news being filled with crime and murders and scandals? Why, our world still has racism and hate, global poverty, nations where thousands of kids are on the street begging for their daily subsistence. What about human trafficking? What about the awful evil that cancer is or any number of other diseases? On top of all that, after having a record-setting season, the Braves lost in the first round of the playoffs. <laughs> There's a lot of bad things in the world. We live in a broken world. How can we really hold on to Romans 8.28 when the Phillies win? You know? No, of course, it's a lot worse than that. There are evil things in the world, and we have to say, is, is God's word going to stand up to the test? Does God's word, do God's promises stand up to the test that is the evil things in the world? This fall, we've been looking into God's attributes. Today, we come to his power and his authority. So what he can do, and then the, the capacity to actually do those things. So your theological words for the day are that God is omnipotent. And I know that if you read that word, it looks like omnipotent. But you will impress your coworkers, if you can say it correctly, omnipotent, right? Omnipotent. Uh, he is all-powerful, all-powerful, omni, and then what looks like potent, omnipotent, all-powerful. And that God is sovereign. We, we would refer to a... Uh, a nation. We don't, that's not a word we use a whole lot, but we may describe uh, a, a nation as being a sovereign nation, meaning they have the authority to set the laws and the regulations and the rules for their property and the citizens of their, of their country. It's, an, it's, an, it's a sovereign nation. It's not a commonwealth or a state that has to report to somebody else. It's a sovereign nation. So when we say God is sovereign, He has authority over all things. He has all power. He's omnipotent. And He has all authority. He is sovereign. That's how we want to describe God today. And those are popular concepts. We, we're okay with that most of the time. We like that God has all power. And, and we even it comes kind of into our common, uh, you know, Christianese, not even Christianese, but just kind of general language where we say everything happens for a reason, right? We, we hold on to this idea of there's somebody who's in control and he's working all things out. We don't know exactly how, but everything happens for a reason. As people of faith, we like the idea of God being in control, at least in the ways we want Him to be in control, right? Which would put our, us in control, I guess. But we like the idea of Him being in control most of the time. But we've got to square the reality of the brokenness of our world with these promises if we're going to hold on to these things. A slightly different angle of kind of getting to the same set of questions is to ask this, what is the will of God? As in, what does he desire? What does God want in the world? What is his 
will? What does he care about? What, what does he want? And does he have the power to accomplish that will? What does he want and can he accomplish that will? So to ask that directly, is cancer in the will of God? You got two options with that question. You can either say yes, and you have to wonder how is, he, how is it true but him to not be evil? If cancer is in the will of God, how is God not evil? If you say no, cancer is not in the will of God, well then is he powerless? If it's not in his will, can he not stop it? Do you, see, do you feel that tension? Do you feel that? This, this is the question about God's power and his authority. If it's not in his will, should he stop it? If it isn't his will, is he evil? Like, how do you, how do you wrestle with that? This whole fall series, I, I know I have been pushing the, the boundaries of, of what you can sit through in the depth like that we've gone into. I know I've been pushing it a little bit on, on, the, on some depth. Like some of you have been like, okay, let's move on. I don't, I'm tired of sleeping during the 1030 worship service. You know? Okay, but listen, it's going to get deeper today. <laughs> like it's not going to get easier. But I promise, like I want to lift this up to you because this, this, is, this is, I don't know how you make it in life without a big theology of a big sovereign God. I don't know how you sleep. I, I don't know how you make it. Like, you need a big theology. If you're going to ask tough questions, like, why? Why are there bombs? Why are there cancer? Why is there cancer? You've you got to wrestle with what does it mean for God to be all-powerful and for God to be sovereign. So it's going to get deep. Like, this is my big disclaimer. Grab you a cup of coffee, but this is worth it. This is worth it. God is worth it. I, I want to extol to you. I don't, I don't want to just... Challenge your mind for the sake of playing mental games. It's not the, I'm going to just read the Bible to you. But I want to do it so that you can see the glory, the majesty, the splendor of an all-powerful God. I want you to see how amazing it is that our God is in control of every single detail that's ever happened and ever will happen. And if you don't have that, you've got nothing to stand on. So I want to hold up God's sovereignty to you in a as, as best as I can, because this is good news, really good news. I still remember a light bulb moment. I was wrestling with this in college at one point, driving down the road, listening to a, a John Piper sermon, and he started talking about the two wills of God, and I was like, I've never heard this before, and, and I had to like really scratch my head, but I had this light bulb moment, and, and I, this probably, I don't know if it will be this for you, but I, I'm going to do my best to like give you this light bulb uh, and see if it, you know, come on for you, I don't know. Um, but, I, but I'm going to tell you this. I did not take Piper's word for it. I went and searched the scriptures. I want to take God's word for it. So I want to do the same thing. I want to just give you scripture and say this, this is God's word for this. This is how God describes his power and his authority. And let that be the thing you are standing on. So I want to put before you what, what theologians have described as the two wills of God. And that's a little confusing. God is one being. He has, he's unchanging. He doesn't it's not really two wills, but it's revealed to us in two different ways. So that's, I'm going to call it two wills, but understand it's just one God and he has one desire. But here we go. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. Of his law. So hear that distinction. The secret things belong to the Lord. The revealed things belong to us. 
And that's the distinction I want to show you today. I want to show you things that are revealed, that God has told us that he cares about. And I want to point to how scripture talks about there's things that we don't know. There are secret things that God has and knows and plans and wills that we don't fully comprehend. Revealed things, secret things. So most often when we think about God's will, we probably think uh, about his revealed will, which is to say these are the things that he tells us are good. We're going to spend most of our time on the hidden will, God's sovereignty, but I want you to see the contrast on God's revealed will. So here's your point for your outline. God revealed, God's revealed will is his holy command to faith and obedience. Okay, so when we think about what does God want, God gives us holy, that is good and right commands, and those commands are to faith and obedience. God revealed, God's revealed will is his holy command to faith and obedience. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. I love that verse. Pretty simple, straightforward. What is God's will? God's will is that you would become more holy. That's what sanctification is. God's will for your life is to be more like Jesus. That is revealed. That is told to you. That is not hidden. God has given you a command to be more like Christ. 1 Peter 4.2, So as to live for the rest of this time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So here's the contrast. He says, don't live for the passions of your flesh. Live for God's will. So the opposite of passions of the flesh is pursuing the holiness of God. That's God's will. You want to ask what God's will? Many people go off to college, leave high school, whatever else it may be. And like, I'm looking for God's will. And they're looking for that hidden thing. You can, you can look for that. But listen, here's the better thing to look for. Holiness. Be made to be more like Christ. That is revealed to you. That's what God has revealed to you, to be more like Christ. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6.10, Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are we praying? We're praying, God, I know in your, in your way of making the world and in, in where you are in heaven, everything is perfect. Everything is holy and righteous. And I want more of that here on earth. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, we're saying, make, make this world perfect. Make it more like heaven. That's what we're asking for. So really, you could put every single command in Scripture that God tells us to do something and say, this, this is God's revealed will. He wants you to follow these commands. So take the sixth through eighth commandments in Exodus chapter 20. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. And you ask the question, is it God's will for me to steal your car today? The answer is no. It is not God's will for me to steal your car. It may be nicer than mine. I may like it better than mine, but I'm not supposed to steal it. It's God's revealed will. Similarly, what's God's will for people's salvation? He delights, he desires for his people to be saved. First Timothy, for all people to be saved. 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4, this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. What's his desire? He desires for everybody to be saved. That's his will. That's what he wants in the world. For 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, if some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So it would be right and good to say, according to God's revealed will, he doesn't want anybody to perish. 
He wants all to be saved. That is his revealed will. I just read it to you twice in the New Testament, right? Jesus, even his first sermon in Mark 1.15, in Mark, Mark's, according to Mark's account, his first sermon, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. He gives you two commands, repent, believe. Best sermon, right? You probably wish that sometimes I would just preach that way. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Amen. Go in peace. That's what Jesus said. Two commands. Turn from your sins. Believe in Jesus for your salvation. Those are commands. That is God's revealed will for you. God's revealed will is His holy command to faith and obedience. I hope you see that in Scripture. That's clear, right? I'll give you a half a dozen Scriptures or more. God's will, His desire, this is what He wants. And all that is consistent with what we've said about God so far this year. Right? God is holy and good and righteous. All these things fit together. Here's my question. Is that will breakable? Can you break God's revealed will? Well, if you turn on the news, you're probably going to find some people that have murdered. Some of you have probably sinned like since the service started, as you've you know, been envious over somebody else's car, or like I just said, you know, whatever, right? We break God's revealed will every time we sin. God said, this is the will of God, your sanctification. If you're not sanctified, you're breaking the will of God. You see that? It is a breakable will. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Which is the way, another way you can say it is, all have sinned and broken God's will for His glory. We have broken God's revealed will. And if that is the only way... God's Word talked about what God's, God wants in the world, then we would have to say He is powerless. He wants these things. He wants your holiness. He wants cancer to be eradicated. He wants bombs to stop, and yet He's powerless to stop it. And that is not a God to worship. He might be a great teacher. I mean, I could say those things. I want bombs to stop in the Middle East. I have no power to stop it on my own, right? I'm not God. And if that's all God was, just a great moral teacher, he would not be God. So you would have no confidence in the promises of God. God could tell you all he wants, that he works all things according to the counsel of his will. But if he has no power to bring it about, then what, 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 that, that statement's useless. If God's will is only if, only, if the only thing we could say about God's will is that it's about your holiness and therefore it's breakable, you would have no assurance of your salvation. You, you, you wouldn't know. He has no power. Praise God. It's not the only way he talks about his will. My concern is that many of us stay in this, just seeing this about God's will. We just see God's will for holiness, and we stop there. And we live with a God who is, who is, uh, who is very small, very small God theology. And when we do that, we, we picture God as this pleading, begging, very good God, but his feet are stuck in the mud, and all he can do is just invite you. And he's just waiting for you to show up, wait, waiting for you to do what he tells you to do. He's, he's telling it as best he can, hey, you should be holy. You should shop, stop throwing bombs, right? You should do cancer research, but I'm just here telling you what you should do. I can't actually make it happen. Surely the God of the Bible is more than that. Praise God He is. Praise God He is. And this is what I want you to see. God is sovereign over all things. 
God's hidden will is his sovereign control of all things. I praise God that this, this is the precious and beautiful truth we can cling to. Ephesians 1.11, the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Everything he does is according to his counsel. God works. God does. God acts. God accomplishes things. And what he does in every single thing that he does in the world, every circumstance, every person, every nation, every disease, every war, everything, he works it all according to the counsel of his will. We just said we can break commands, right? So that's one way that we talk about God's will. When we talk about God's hidden will, his sovereign will, it is not breakable. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 reminds us, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours, and my thoughts are thoughts higher than your thoughts. Of course, God's God. He's going to have things that are beyond our comprehension, right? And frequently, the way the Bible talks about God's will, same word, is something unknown and something we, we can't yet see. We, we talk this way too, James 4, 19. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Right? James is rebuking people who, who are overconfident in their ability to make their own plans. He says, whoa, 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 whoa. You should be qualifying what your, your plan, the plans you're making and saying, if the Lord wills it, I'll do it. So in that way, it talks about God's will. God's word talks about his own will. It's something in the future that we can't comprehend yet. Right? Um, 1 Corinthians 4.19. I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. Hebrews 6.3. And this we will do if God permits. So it's something in the future, and it's something I don't yet know. And God could change it. I'm waiting for God's will. There's a clear difference here between 1 Thessalonians 4.3. This is the will of God, your sanctification. And James 4.15. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. These are different ways of describing God's will. God's revealed will is His desire for you to be holy. God's hidden will is a sovereign plan, a control, a, a, a divine um, ordaining of all that comes to pass. Everything that happens. You with me so far? If you don't have the category of God's hidden sovereign will, you have zero confidence that his promises will happen. If God doesn't have a plan over all things, then nothing he says about the future is worth, worth anything. You, we have to believe he is sovereign according to his word. You have to believe he has control over those things. And that way, it is unbreakable. If it, this, this is worth a study all by itself. Just all the ways God describes his unbreakable will. I'll just give you a, a few. Job 42.2, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. No purposes of God can be stopped. Isaiah 14.24, the Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be. As I have purposed, so shall it stand. Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. If God wants it to happen, it happens. This is a great comfort and a great joy. Because if somebody's got to be in control, and somebody is, praise God, it's God. 
We have spent all this time this fall talking about how awesome and incredible God is. Our infinite God who is not bound by space and time. Our triune God who has had a loving relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit before the foundation of the Word. Our, our immutable, unchanging God with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Our holy and good and righteous and just and merciful and patient God. If somebody's going to be in control, praise God it's God and not you and me. But so often, we want it to be us, don't we? I want to make my plans and do things my way. And I don't want to submit to God's will. If God changes our plans, we get frustrated. Listen, we are not qualified to be in charge of everything that happens. Not even qualified to be in charge of everything that our, happens in our lives. And it's, it's okay. That's, that's good news. Listen, if you call me tomorrow from the ER and say, Philip, the doctor says, I've got appendicitis, and my appendix has to be taken out right now. Will you pray for me? If I say to you, yes, I'll be happy to pray for you, and I'll do you one more, I'll come to the hospital, and I'll take your appendix out for you, and I won't charge you anything. You know what you should tell me? No. <laughs> no. You know why? I'm not qualified. I have no qualification to take your appendix out. And as soon as I made a cut and saw blood, I would pass out and be really useless to you. <laughs> Praise God, there are people who are qualified for that, but I'm not that guy. You and I are not qualified to be sovereign over our own lives or sovereign over the universe. There is one who is, and it is the king over all. Every time we think we want to be in control, we have to recognize that's not a job we are qualified for. We serve a very big God who is in charge of all things. I want to give you just a short list of things that I, this is not exhaustive, but a short list of things he is in charge of and in control of so that our theology hopefully begins to grow. And I put them maybe in order of like, you're most likely to agree with me to maybe toward the end you may question it. But again, I'm just going to read your Bible. All right. God's hidden will, his sovereign control of all things includes God's in control of creation. God's in control of creation. Genesis 1, 3, and God said, let there be light. And he was light. I mean, there was light. Jeremiah 32, 17, Ah, the Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. The prophet Jeremiah is looking at mountains and rivers and stars and galaxies and all these things. I don't know if he knew the word galaxies in the Old Testament. I don't know, but he's looking at all and saying, You did all this, God. You are in charge. You're in control. You are sovereign over all these things. God is in control of creation. He's in control of every circumstance, all the way down to the littlest Thing. Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. There has never been a single dice that has been rolled that God was not in control of what number landed up. That's Bible. But not just the little things. He's not just so, so caught up with all the details that he doesn't have time for the big picture. You know who's in charge of every president who's ever been president of the United States, every prime minister in the UK, and every other nation everywhere? God, Romans 13, 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that existed have been instituted by God. Everybody who's ever been in charge of everything was put there by God. That does not mean they are good. <laughs> we know that. It does mean in God's sovereign plan, in his hidden will, God put them in charge. Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel chapter 4, had to learn that a really hard way. 
over and over again, God told Nebuchadnezzar through Daniel, you should know this. There is one God, the Most High God, repeated over and over in Daniel 4. The Most High God is sovereign over all the kingdoms of men, and He gives them to whomever He chooses. And Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar, if you don't know that, you will lose your sanity, and you will be out walking, crawling in the ground like an animal. And that's exactly what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He's standing over Babylon, rejoicing at the kingdom that he had made, and he loses his sanity until he comes to know that the Most High God is sovereign over all the kingdoms of men, and he gives them to whomever he chooses. From the roll of the dice to the President of the United States and the President of every country in the world forever in history, God is in control. Daniel 4, uh, Amos 3, 7, is, it a trump, is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come into a city unless the Lord has done it? Even if it, just, if it looks like destruction, God, God's in charge of the destruction of the city. Lamentation 3.37, who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it. He's in charge of everything that happens. If God hasn't commanded it, it doesn't happen. He is in sovereign control of all things. He's in control of creation. He's in control of circumstances. He's in control of life and death. Do you believe that? God is in charge of life and death. Psalm 139.13, this is the only reason you exist. The only reason you exist. For you formed my inward parts, David says to God. You knit me together in my mother's womb. God brought you to life. You know who's in charge of death? John 11, 43. Jesus is weeping outside of a tomb of a dearly loved friend named Lazarus. And Jesus, after Jesus said these things, John 14, 33, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And you know what didn't happen right there in that moment? Death did not shout out from inside the tomb and say, I'm sorry, Jesus, your jurisdiction ends at the edge of that tomb. You stay out there, I'm in charge of here. Death could not say that because it's not true. Jesus cried out, Lazarus, come out. Verse 44, the man, the man who had died came out. Jesus is control over life. And over death. And you may be with me so far, but I'm going to keep going because it's not where God's power ends. He's in control over sin and evil. That's why we read the story of Joseph. Did you, do you know the story of Joseph from Genesis 37 to 50? This is the beautiful, redemptive glory of God in His sovereignty even over evil. Genesis 37, Joseph has some pretty crummy brothers. Like, I've been a pretty bad brother to my little brother, but I've never sold him into slavery. So at least I have that going for me. His ten older brothers wanted to kill him, but they settled for just getting money selling him into slavery. Was that evil? Absolutely. Was it wicked? Was it against the law of God? Was it against the revealed will of God? 100%. 100%. Selling your brother into slavery is against the revealed will of God. Joseph goes to a man named Potiphar's house, and he does amazing things for him. Potiphar loves him. He's great. Everything's going well. Potiphar's wife falsely accuses Joseph of trying to attack her, and Joseph is thrown into jail. Is it wrong to falsely accuse somebody and make them serve a sentence in jail for something they didn't commit? Yes, that is wrong. That is against the revealed will of God. Joseph gets to prison. He hangs out there for a little while, meets two people from Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, that Pharaoh had put in jail, a cupbearer and a baker. 
And those two people have a dream, and they're very confused by it. And Joseph interprets their dreams. He says, Mr. Baker, I'm sorry to tell you about your dream, but your dream means that you're about to be executed, and it happens. He tells the cupbearer, this is what happens in your dream. You're going to get your job back. You're going to get to go back and hold the cup for the king of, over all Egypt. And while you're there, will you please remember me? I'm in here for something I didn't do. The cupbearer, it comes true. He goes, he goes to be back with Pharaoh. He gets his job back. And you know what he does? He forgets about Joseph. Is forgetting about somebody who gave their word to. Is that against the revealed will of God? 100%. Two whole years later. Pharaoh has a really weird set of dreams, and the cupbearer goes, oh yeah, there's that guy that revealed that knows dreams. They call Joseph. Joseph comes to Pharaoh, tells him all about the dreams, and millions of lives are saved because Joseph knows what God had put him there for to bring in the harvest and save up for the famine. Is all the evil that happened against Joseph in the will of God? If you don't have two categories for the will of God, you can't answer that question. Is God in charge of Joseph's story? A hundred percent. Were Joseph's brothers wicked and evil? One hundred percent, that is true. The sin against Joseph was against the revealed will of God, but it was within the sovereign will of God. That's how far God's power goes. He is in control, not just over creation, not just over circumstances. God can even use wicked and evil people like Joseph's brother and Potiphar's wife and a forgetful cupbearer to accomplish his will. Joseph's brothers come to him in Genesis chapter 50, and they're worried. They're really trying to just save their own neck. They don't, they're just out for their own skin still. And this is what Joseph tells them. As for you, you meant it for evil, contrary to the revealed will of God, God meant it for good within God's sovereign will because there is nothing that is outside God's sovereign will. He makes everything happen that happens within His sovereign will. How does that fit together? Well, I don't know. But God's Word says it does. I'll give you one more and I'll stop. I'll save some for next week. It doesn't just stick with Joseph's brothers. They're wicked, but they're human. Even Satan himself only serves the bidding of God. Job chapter 1 has this crazy account that brings up all kinds of other questions. But God brings up Job's name to Satan. And Satan says, oh, he just worships you because you've given him too many good things. Let's take some things from him. When Job loses him one day, all of his kids and all of his property, this is Job's response. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Wait, 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 sorry, chime out, Job. Wait, wait, you didn't hear what happened in heaven. Really, it was Satan. It wasn't, it wasn't God. No, Job doesn't get corrected. He's right. The Lord has taken away. Is it God's will, is it his, according to his good and holy and righteous revealed will, that his children die. No, absolutely not. That was wicked and evil, and Satan will spend all of eternity suffering for the wickedness that he did against Job. And is it inside the same act? Is it inside the sovereign will of God? Yes. If you can't answer yes to that, you will live a life doubting the promises of God because you are saying something is more powerful than God. 
Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of God. He does not say, God, as soon as you... Well, later on he does say it. He gets rebuked for it. But right here in chapter 1, he does not say, God, until you show up and give me a reason for the way you treated me this way, I will not worship you. No. He says, listen, we're all going to die. We all came into this world naked. We're going to leave naked. we got nothing when we start. we got nothing in the end. My nothingness, Job said, it just came a little bit early. Like decades, I don't know how much early. But he lost it all. And he says, I'm going to trust that my sovereign God has a plan beyond what I can understand. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If your theology of God is too small, where you can't say, I will take good and I will take bad from the Lord's hand, then you're going to have a hard time worshiping God for very long. You will only worship Him when things are good. But when you come to God's Word and you see that He is sovereign in good and bad, in righteous deeds and in unjust deeds, then you can worship God no matter what. That's how God is told to us in the Bible. And the very last one I'll give you is Acts chapter 2. The most supreme, highest, worst sin in all of humanity was the crucifixion of the Son of God. He is perfect. He is eternal. He was the only one to walk this earth and never die, and never, never sin. And for Him to be killed was to go against everything that is right and good in the world. The people who, were, who killed Jesus were called in Acts 2.23, lawless men. It is against the revealed will of God. But is it in the sovereign will of God? Did God plan for this? Did God ordain this? God's word says he did. Acts 2.23, this Jesus, this is Peter preaching at Pentecost, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God put Jesus on the cross. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. According to God's sovereign plan, he knew that the wicked evilness would not defeat him and his purposes, it would only serve it. God is working even over the evil of our world and in control of it all, so at the end we will all stand and say, glory to God, glory to God. When we come to God's word, we see an all-powerful God that we don't fully understand, of course, but we obey his revealed will and we trust his sovereign will. Obey God's revealed will and trust his hidden will. R.C. Sproul famously said this, If there is one single molecule in this universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we have no guarantee that a single promise of God will ever be fulfilled. If there is anything outside of God's sovereignty, then you cannot trust Him. God is that big. How does that all fit together? God is perfectly holy. I skipped a lot, so... God's perfectly holy. He has no temptation. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, Isaiah 6.3, James 1.13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. God is perfectly righteous and holy in all he does. He has never, ever sinned, and he's in control of everything that ever happens. That's big God theology. That's a God worth worshiping. That's a God worth serving. It's a God worth proclaiming to the ends of the earth. This is the God we know. 
He is in control. Let us trust and obey. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your incredible power. Father, there are so many things in this world that make no sense to us. And we don't know why there's so much brokenness. We know sin is in the world and evil and, oh, it's awful. And we pray that this world, you would make it more like heaven. And to the degree you do that, God, we rejoice. But to the degree that you continue to permit sin and brokenness, we will still rejoice. Because we trust you are on your throne. You are in charge. And we are not. Father, we want to see your glory. We want to see your majesty. And when we get, like Joseph, just a few glimpses of how it all fits together, to be able to come to the end of a really hard time and look back like Joseph did and say, this was so wicked and so evil, and yet God was in control. God, when we get to do that, it is a great joy. But Father, we know this side of you coming back, there's going to be a lot of places in this life where we don't get to have that kind of picture of how it all comes together. And so even in those moments, Lord, we trust you. We trust you. Grow our faith. God, help us believe. Forgive our unbelief. Forgive us for limiting you. And may we instead worship you today. God, for those that may not yet know you who are here, God, we pray they would hear the command clear from Scripture to repent and believe. And God, as they turn to you, may they rejoice that you have chosen us before the foundation of the world. God, you are in control over all things. And we need you. Move in our hearts, Father. In Christ's name I pray.